they're seeing a lot of interest from translators outside of the media log space to become translators and linguists in media content. There is a potential that synthetic voices can be used to then help free up dubbing actors, voice actors, to work on other kind of more priority content. And welcome everyone to Slaterpod. Hi, Esther. Hey, Florian. Bringing you a new show again. We had to reschedule with a guest, but we're packing this new show uh quite uh, densely here. So we're starting with the uh, interpreting report that we've just launched. Uh, talk a bit about Microsoft and their new feature in, in interpreting. New CEO at Big, DeepL unpacking their kind of staff um, composition, like or whatever staff setup. Uh, Spain media localization, then Zoo blowing past expectations with the results, and then dub dub. Dub dub, yeah. We just launched a new report, Esther. Yeah. Very excited about it. The global interpreting market, uh, well, services, technology, everything about interpreting. Everything about interpreting. So the challenge there was to try to capture everything without drowning in... The detail? Well, detail, nitty gritty. It's just like, it's such a deep field interpreting. There's so many angles and so many ways you can look at it. So we called it like a 360 degree view on interpreting. So the real value is that I don't think anybody has looked at this, that the field like as comprehensively as we have in this particular report. Of course, there's like a lot of literature uh, on various fields and they go very, very deep. But I think the value here is that we looked at this from all angles. Kind of drawing it all together. Exactly, drawing it all together and then giving people a starting point from then like, okay, where do I actually want to kind of uh, explore this further? Like as, you know, as a business, where do I want to get in? Uh, which areas do I want to pursue more? And like what, what's going on in, the, in these fields? And so it's incredibly diverse. Like I, I wasn't really... I sensed it was that kind of wide, but I, I mean, now that we actually uh, looked at the report, so we're, we're doing it by mode, uh, being like, you know, SI, consecutive, uh, relay, whispered, et cetera, by setting and type, uh, by like, we look at interpreting as a profession, then of course the onsite in-person versus remote. We look at geography and who's buying it by like service provider. Uh, we have a special chapter on healthcare, right? US healthcare? Yeah. And that's because this one is quite unique. Uh, it's also probably one of the largest kind of business opportunities still, because uh, US healthcare is just so, so large. We spoke about this before a bit. But it's only supplier ecosystem, hasn't it? I mean, there are companies that are just purely dedicated to US healthcare interpreting. 100%. So, and, and then we also added a bit of kind of technology, like, uh, you know, when you, you could basically consider interpreting as part of like the video localization uh, kind of ecosystem and then added some frontier tech. So without like rambling all of this down, I mean, it's just an incredibly varied uh, ecosystem, very, um, very large. Uh, we're estimating it to be about $4.6 billion in, in 2020. Uh, one 2022, so a very large market that uh, continues to grow. And of course, that's what people are looking for right now in these uh, increasingly uncertain times, uh, you know, where, where you can uh, expand your, your business. And for LSPs, if they don't offer interpreting yet, I think they should pick 
out certain parts that they could potentially offer. I mean, there's so many solutions out there that can they they can leverage to to enter that business. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a good market, and it's a fantastic report written by Anna. Now. One quick news piece that we picked up this week is that Microsoft uh, released a new interpreting feature. So moving there to, uh, or staying rather with the with the interpreting. Uh, what does that mean? We uh, we tried it out before the podcast, but weren't you know able to actually spin it up in a reasonable amount of time. Maybe because we're I mean we're on the Google stack, so we don't use Microsoft that much. I, I do have a subscription, so we tried to set up a, a Teams meeting where you can add an interpreter, but you know didn't work. Anyway, so we're going off basically their their literature here, but it. It seems like you you can spin up a Teams uh, meeting and then you can add somebody as an interpreter or multiple people as as interpreters and then uh, the participants can then select you know a, a, a particular channel uh, that they can then follow in in that language right yeah is this a threat for the many niche providers probably because. Um, I mean, it's definitely not the most sophisticated interpreting technology, right? It allows you to add, as far as I can understand this now, again, having not actually used it yet, but Microsoft has, you know, a billion users, two billion users, corporate users. So if they add it, then a lot of people will start using it and then it's going to get tough if you have a better but less distributed version of kind of the same feature if you want to launch that. So I think it is something that um, that is probably a threat for these uh, uh, kind of RSI providers, but we should unpack that uh, much more deeply in the future, probably bring somebody on. Uh, I, I'd actually love to get somebody on from, from Microsoft and just walk us through this. So uh, or maybe an interpreter who's used it in the past. So I think it's a it's a classic kind of Microsoft play that they add a feature. It's probably not as good as the niche version, the standalone version out there, but given that, you know, given their giant distribution, it just kind of flattens anybody in its path. All of this talk of interpreting, uh, there was a fantastic presentation on interpreting yesterday at SlateCon Remote, which, I, yeah, I mean, I won't give too much away. We'll obviously be writing it, writing about it. Um, and I think it can be accessed by uh, some of people who attended the event as well after the fact. That's right. Uh, you know, European Commission's head of uh, interpreting. So go check it out. Uh, now, big language solutions, they also are in interpreting. I'm segueing here. Uh, they they did acquire an interpreting company. I don't recall the name off the top of my head, but back in the, um, in like about a year ago. And so big, remember that's Jeff Brink. We had him at the SlaterCon, or I met him at, the last time I met him was at SlaterCon San Francisco. So now, uh, they brought on uh, Dixer Dikowski as the new CEO, um, and Jeff Brink will become chairman. So you know why he wants to become chairman? No, just kidding. He he says uh, his aggressive travel schedule was also beginning to take a toll. He's turning sixty in two months, so he just wants to uh, focus on. Uh, He's going to relax strategy. in the role as uh, chairman. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think Jeff's going to relax a lot, but at least he doesn't have to to travel. I mean, uh, you know, travel in, in the U.S. You have to, I think sometimes in Europe, we underestimate that uh, how much travel is involved in, in if you want to do kind of intra-U.S. business. So so he says he wants to focus on strategy, client relationships and deals. So more M&A coming up from big language solutions. They're, uh, he said they're expecting about $80 million in revenue this year. So that's quite sizable. 
And then we also asked him on like, how is current trading in 2022 going? And like I'm quoting him here, he's saying, we're seeing some general softness driven by inflation, market uncertainty, and the war. It's still early to form conclusions, but generally speaking, many clients are operating with caution and managing budgets more closely. So yeah, that's in line with uh, kind of general market sentiment. Um, th there are exceptions, of course, like, uh, you know, tech-enabled companies like, um, or like Zoo, digital, like media, gaming, etc. We uh, also spoke about that yesterday at the conference. So, I mean, even keywords, we mentioned gaming keywords were saying something very similar in terms of like the macroeconomic environment and kind of watching, uh, remaining mindful of what's, what might happen. Not that you have uh, any other option. You have to keep observing, right? Even if you don't want to. So... Moving over to a company that's definitely growing at a super fast clip is DeepL. So what we, what do we do with DeepL? Yeah, well, so we basically looked at their some of their hiring patterns according to uh, data based on, well, based on LinkedIn data. So obviously it provides somewhat of a picture, not the complete picture because not everybody's on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think for a long time, we've sort of known, I suppose, anecdotally that DeepL is kind of driving this, like driving towards the, the enterprise. Um, so we kind of wanted to look a bit more into this premise and explore the types of hires and, and the kind of the the composition, as you said, of the organization by function. Um, so we went through the LinkedIn profiles of people that are associated with DeepL. Um, currently, there are more than 300. Um, and then categorized those, the, job, the profiles, well, based on job titles by, by function. Um, I mean, go and look at the charts in the article. You'll see it a bit more clearly. But basically, there's still a massive focus on product and software, as you would imagine. I think there's just a little more than a third of the LinkedIn profiles were in software and product related roles. Um, also research and data, kind of a big uh, component, as you would expect from, from DeepL. Um, but as we were kind of expecting, an increasing number of corporate, uh, corporate roles, uh, also account management and customer support roles, um, and recruiters slash talent managers to obviously support all of uh, the hiring and, and uh, the employees. Uh, more generally, I think what's what's actually interesting is when you start to look at the year that these people joined. So you can, again, on LinkedIn, look at the year people say that they have joined a company. So we kind of broke that out um, by function and by joining year. Um, and you've got, I think, account managers, customer support, really nobody in that kind of role or that kind of function before 2020 with a real ramp up in 2021 and 2022 to date. Um, same is kind of true of business development and sales roles, really pre-2020, no business development sales people, at least according to, to this LinkedIn um, data. But really, yeah, even in the year to date, I think they brought on board what looks like kind of 10 or so uh, roles in business development, um, corporate, you know, also kind of ramping up in the most recent years. I think all of this, you know, it, it's interesting to look at the data just for the data's sake and for analyzing it. But I think the bigger picture here is that really the machine translate, it's a machine translation company, um, as we know, really fast growing. Uh, but all of this kind of gears DeepL towards competing a bit more head-on with with language service providers, um, particularly tech-enabled language service providers, because, precisely because they now have somebody you that customers can call um, and people to shepherd and look after those enterprise accounts. What I find interesting 
is also the recruitment talent management that he just mentioned as well. They hired seven or they hired. There's 17 people within recruitment and talent management that started in 2022 and are in that bracket, right? I was going to keep that recruitment with corporate because I was like, oh, you know, it's a corporate role, corporate function, like legal, marketing, blah, blah, blah. But then I saw that actually it had its own kind of pattern. So I thought it would be interesting to, to keep those roles separate. That's a lot of recruiters and telemension people, 17, right? So just in 2022 to have joined the company. So they're, they're gearing up for a massive hiring drive. That's like two a month or something, isn't it? Basically bringing on board two people a month in that in those kind of roles. Yeah, and two people that are expected to hire more people. So, <laughs> yeah. Right? There's a lot of hiring going on. Uh, let's switch gear a little bit and go to Spain. Um, that is gearing up to be a, a hub for audiovisual production, which of course then will drive demand for localization services. Yeah, I think it's been about a year or so now that we first covered this and that the Spanish government announced um, its plan to make the country an audiovisual hub. So the plan is called Spain AVS Hub. Um, and in the article we published this week, it's looking into changes that have happened um, basically around this plan in the past year. Uh, so they've done quite a lot. It seems to have been quite active. Uh, there was a law brought in to simplify the process for talent, um, to, for foreign talent to come into Spain to work in audiovisual capacity. Um, actually, now I, when I started reading up on this, I remembered that I had a friend who's an uh, she's an associate producer, and she was working in Spain last year for a month or so. So I think this is yeah definitely happening, um, even anecdotally. Um, and then, you know, things like launching a new information portal, going around and kind of telling people about uh, the incentives and benefits of, of um, doing AV product projects in Spain. Um, so they, I think, for example, they're highlighting um, some of the tax incentives, like a 30% tax incentive um, for companies that will shoot, uh, produce content in Spain. Um, so they were talking at the Toronto Film Festival. Um, it's kind of been touring, uh, touring a little bit to to promote um, Spain as an audio visual hub. There's things like um, you know bringing together international investors with um, Spanish um, entrepreneurs in the audiovisual um, uh, profession. Um, things like also planning to simplify some of the red tape or remove some of the red tape about um, investment, about production, strengthen IP property or IP rights and also attract talent. Um, but I think uh, as we've observed already, I mean, there's a lot of major names that are already producing content there. So Netflix, uh, I think they're shooting another season of The Crown uh, in Spain. Uh, and then you've got think, people like HBO, Disney+, Plus, Apple TV+, Plus. they've all uh, produced content in Spain. Um, and I think a lot of it is kind of not based on, but a lot of it's um, happening in Madrid content city. So this kind of this like dedicated hub or campus, I suppose, um, for audiovisual production. Uh, it's 140,000 square meters, so massive. Um, and Netflix has their their studios there. And it's going to soon have a university that is dedicated exclusively to courses relating to AV production and media. So that's a lot of activity and kind of coming at it from all, all angles, you know, training, investment, uh, you know, all of the kind of legal uh, bureaucracy as well around it. You know where else there is an academy for media production? In Sheffield. Oh, 
yes, lovely sunny Sheffield. <laughs> Almost Madrid. Uh, no, I mean it's not. It's it's more for um, for localization, right? So just taking a turn here to Zoo Digital, uh, who's probably also doing some work in Spain, right? Uh, and then and they have an academy, a, a training academy for. Um, media localizers in or for linguists, right, in Sheffield because they, they had this staff crunch about a couple of years ago or just still generally it's just not not super easy to find the right people. And we had the CEO, uh, Stuart Green, on at Slidicon yesterday and so he he spoke about that, right? Uh, but just to close on the, uh, the, the Spain story, so is there any, do you see any kind of signs that major localization companies are settling there or do we see anything in around Barcelona right because Barcelona is kind of a localization hub generally yeah I mean settling in Spain I, I'm not too sure but I mean definitely having kind of significant presence in terms of offices or or studios um and like you said Barcelona there's already a really big um language service provider slash localization um community there uh, which I think obviously will benefit from some of these initiatives that the Spanish government, if there's more content being produced um, in Spain, you know, it'll need to be produced or translated, localized into other languages, um, I guess, in the most simplest of terms. I think Transperfect's got to be one of the bigger employers now in like Barcelona. They've got like a thousand people, maybe even more. Yeah, they've got a big, I think, Madrid hub. Back to Zoo. We talk about Zoo a lot because the public now had a fantastic half year revenues to reach $51 million. So they're on track to hit their $100 million revenue target early. In terms of EBITDA, they're saying uh, that, you know, EBITDA again, profit before tax, et cetera, is up. And, you know, I guess I'm estimating this to be about 10 to 15 million EBITDA uh, this year, which, you know, massive turnaround. They used to um, be loss generating and now they're, uh, yeah, they're highly profitable. So they're going to invest in all kinds of initiatives, including that academy that they have in Sheffield and then other growth plans. Uh, you know, Stuart mentioned, uh, I think, Korea specifically. India, Korea and Turkey is where they've they've already done sort of strategic partnerships or investments or, or M&A. Yeah. And so now they're going to ramp that up, probably more M&A and, you know, compete very heads on with like IUNO, SDI. Of course, they're, um, I mean, they're still very cloud-centric zoo is, right? So they don't need uh, kind of the same like heart infrastructure office setup as some of the, their competitors. Um, yeah, and so interesting side note from uh, Stuart's presentation yesterday. So he said that they're seeing a lot of interest from uh, translators outside of the, the media log space to become uh, translators and linguists in, in media content, right, for, for their academy. So people that are doing other types of translation are transitioning to media content, which, uh, you know, very interesting. We also, in the Q&A, there was somebody who asked a question about synthetic voices. And, you know, he basically says that he doesn't see like a massive kind of in real life adoption yet for like prime content and probably won't happen for a long, 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 long time if, ne if ever. Uh, but, you know, as usual, like, yes, there are certain use cases where this can be deployed, but just generally for like prime time uh, content, probably not yet. I think also if, if um, talent remains quite difficult to source, um, you know, you've got to think about prioritizing voice actors. So I think Stuart was saying there is a, you know, potential that, uh, synthetic voices can be used to then help free up 
dubbing actors, voice actors to work on other kind of more priority content. Yeah, correct. It's it's just so hard. I mean, I, I you know I spoke to Tim about this from XLA a couple of weeks ago, right? You know, putting emotions in voices and stuff. That's so tough. Very very tricky. So, but shareholders, who shareholders are happy, best performing LSP this year. Uh, they're actually up uh, since the, the beginning of the year. Which you know, tell me an asset that's up since the beginning of the year. Like literally everything from stocks to bonds to gold to. You know, nothing's up except Zoo. So uh, congrats to them. They're up like 6% or something. Maybe it's gone up since I last looked at it. Almost everything got completely hammered and, and, and they're, uh, they're doing quite well. So, so good for them. And then let's go over to India for DubDub. What happened there? Yeah, it's got to be like the most satisfying company name to say. <laughs> Dub Dub. Uh, so yeah, it's an Indian machine dubbing company, a startup called Dub Dub. They've raised uh, 1 million US dollars. Um, this was announced 14th of September, so last week. Um, uh, but I think the round closed in August. It's a fairly early stage startup still. So it was founded in 2021 by some alumni from IIT Kanpur, which is a research university based in Uttar Pradesh in India and currently still in closed beta so like I say early stage uh, we spoke to Anubhav Singh who's one of the co-founders um, and he was talking a little bit about the the mission the vision of the company and um, they said they're aiming to bridge the language gap with state of the a state of the art AI in speech synthesis and generative modeling um, yes and I mean India he said was really good sort of uh good ground it's a good place uh, to generate this kind of startup you'd expect it because you know it's got all of these diverse cultures religions languages um and their focus for the moment is definitely on into in indian dubbing um i think he was talking about you know wanting to de democratize content and bring obviously content to to the people of india um so in terms of their solution, they have automated, um, in his words, every step of the process with accuracy ranging from 80 to 85 percent. And the rest is done through human in the loop. Um, so it's still a fair amount of automation um, and obviously human centric uh, also. Um, and they're talking about, you know, wanting to automate uh, customer onboarding as well. Um, so I think at the moment there's this some kind of handholding going uh, going on with client onboarding, but they're looking to automate completely uh, the onboarding process. Um, just getting into more of the nitty gritty, the dub dub technology. I mean, they have tech that's developed in house. So the things um, uh, things like AI assistant that helps to identify errors in machine translation, and what they, what he said was to helps redirect users to specific areas. Um, presumably to then correct uh, sort of issues potentially in MT output, um, but also that they have a number of third-party AIs from big tech, like uh, Azure, AWS, GCP. Um, so it kind of combines and is built on, on top of um, some of those technolo technologies also. I guess by GCP, they mean what, Google Cloud? Probably, huh? Yeah, that's probably Google Cloud. Google, pl Google Cloud Platform. In terms of the customer base, it's currently targeting production houses and OTT, so sort of streaming customers, as well as enterprise customers and marketing creative agencies. Um, and Anubhav said that at the moment they're seeing a, a lot of good traction from marketing and creative agencies, but um, he said there's a strong pull from production houses and OTT. Um, so as I mentioned, yeah, currently focused on, on Indian 
or any language into Indian languages. Um, but they, so they're currently hoping to bring more operational efficiency um, to Indian dubbing, uh, but then I guess we'll expand sort of further um, into other, other languages also. I, this is an incredibly interesting space, and I think we're, we'll see a lot more, right? We had uh, dubbers on, uh, we should probably bring uh, dub dub on as well, <laughs> and then, you know, XL8, et cetera. So I, I, I think we're going to see a lot uh, in, 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 in that area in the next couple of years. Very interesting. All right, so we'll take a break next week, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, so stay tuned. Thanks for checking in.